Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the Sock Takes Pod. I am your host this evening, Kevin Johnston, the Lanyard King. Um, a little insider pro tip to you editors out there. People think it's all about, you know, editing stories and writing stories and, you know, working the website. But here's the truth of the matter. It's all about whipping a lanyard out of that laptop bag. You know, when, you, when you're on site with your unprepared correspondence... <laughs> Somebody's got to whip out the lanyards, and that's really what takes a managing editor to the next level. So, pro tip out there for for all you journalists: um, get those lanyards prepared. <laughs> Moving on, let's kick it over to. You might have heard of Becky with the good hair. We can't give you Becky, but we can give you Napoon with the good hair. It's the good doctor, Napoon Chopra. How's it going, Napoon? The good hair. I like it. My hair is kind of thinning out. I'm worried that I'm gonna start going bald in the next 10 years or so it's not a good feeling um, but i'm i'm pretty good i'm good right now i'm sitting with the phone on my rather bulbous stomach i've been sitting here i woke up early to watch cricket my team lost that i went for a walk with the lady friend and the pups that was nice and here i am and uh hopefully we will not be joined by aaron on this podcast because we have a really nice guest hey <laughs> hello i'm john leonard i'm the new guy I used to write for Reckless Challenge. I've written stuff that MLS has put on their website. I broke the OKC battle a few years ago, and I'm glad to be here. We are happy to have you, John. And he lives out, you're still out in the Dallas area, correct? Yes, I'm calling from basically, if you drew a line due north of the big runway at DFW Airport, it would eventually hit my house in 20 minutes. Hmm. Cool. Well, we are thrilled to have John Leonard as our newest correspondent. And John, give people a quick idea of just the teams that you tend to cover. I know FC Dallas, uh, the San Antonio Club. Um, you, you covered the Rio OKC back when they existed quite closely and OKC Energy, I believe. So um, just talk about what all you can cover. I've mainly, yeah, that D Dallas and South Central stuff. I also look into when the Austin Aztecs were a thing, and now that they're not seeing how they might become a thing again, possibly, there's a lot going on there. And I've been following OKC Energy since before they existed, Rio OKC since before they existed, and now since they've stopped existing, lots of lower division drama, lots of stuff with indoor soccer and the various dramas it's had. And I'm a little bit crazy about the Open Cup. That's probably my favorite time of year is the first round of the Open Cup. Well, welcome aboard, John. We are thrilled to have you. And now... Hey, before, you, before you introduce that other guy, because uh, I really don't want to hear his voice. John, how did you get into soccer? It's actually a bit of a strange thing. I was not a sports person in high school. I never played soccer. I watched my sister play for a few years when she was a kid. And I was on a cruise during the 2010 MLS Cup final. I saw that Dallas, one, had a pro soccer team, and two, was in the championship game. And on this tiny little barely color TV on the ESPN Caribbean feed, getting commercials for cricket coverage. I oh, watched yeah. the 2010 MLS Cup, watched FC Dallas lose to the bullshit Colorado Rapids, and <laughs> I got hooked. I got tickets through my dad's work for the FC Dallas home opener the following year, and by the end of 2012, I had been to half of the games since, and I had season tickets. Yeah. Good shit. Yeah. Okay. And also joining us tonight is Well actually our... before you before you introduce him, KJ, how are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing all right. You you really just do not want to hear this man's voice, do you? <laughs> who are you who are you talking about? I don't know. I, I, we were we were supposed to have um one of our other correspondents join us tonight, but unfortunately he couldn't make it. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's too bad. Let's continue potting. Okay, so, truth be told, we are joined by another co-host, the infamous, the man who makes Carlos Mencia look funny, it's sweet baby Aaron Gunyan. How's it going, Aaron? 
It's going really, really well. I'm dying laughing here. Um, this is one of the best podcasts I've ever been a part of, and I haven't had to do a thing. And we're like 20 minutes in. Congratulations, everybody. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. The pleasure's all mine. Truthfully. Truthfully. You know, about the lanyards, the funny thing is, I did not even display my media credentials at all during the, the match on Saturday. Just had them in my pocket the whole time. Walked by a few security people. Indy 11 should really look into that. Anyway, guys, we're here today. What do you want to talk about? We got plenty of stuff on the docket to talk about today. We're going to talk plenty of NASL, maybe a little bit of MLS, a little bit of USL. And, of course, we might USL. even primarily recap the Indy 11 match. Um, they came out with their first victory of the season. So why don't we start there? And Aaron. Why don't we start with the U.S. Open Cup, though? Yeah. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Let's Cincinnati. do it. Let's do it. So, Napoon, what were your thoughts on the match we attended Wednesday? Well, first of all, it would have been a lot more fun if Aaron wasn't there. But looking <laughs> past that, one of the fantastic things about the game was the tactical switch that was made by Cincinnati completely caught uh, Chicago. So not Chicago Fire. That's who they're playing next. Wait, which but, game are you talking about? Columbus Crew, baby. Well, versus... maybe you you should explain that to the listeners. Well, I just did. All right. Maybe if you did, had not interjected, I would have got to that point. Why don't you just tell people which game you're reviewing and then start reviewing it? Well, why don't I do it <laughs> in a more non-traditional way rather than your pedantic way, Aaron? Hey, anyway, we... Oh, you've so... got my attention now. Yeah, we bury have... the lead at Socktakes, okay? That's our MO. Bury the lead. That's I do right. that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So... Uh, as we were talking on the drive back on a podcast that is now lost to the ether, um, really fantastic tactical switch made by Alan Cook. Uh, went three at the back, actually five at the back, and uh, found lots of space down the right for uh, Boehner, uh, who sent a lot of crosses to GB. Played on the counter, and incredible thing to notice was Columbus Crew, who, by the way, played a much stronger team than we predicted, or maybe everyone but Ke uh, Kevin. Kevin actually rightly predicted that They'll be a bit of a stronger team. They played a strong team, including uh, including the likes of uh, what's it, what is the happens to me when I'm on this podcast? I forget people's name all the time. Higuain, uh, along with the likes of Higuain, and they did not have a clear cut opportunity, a shot. Uh, uh, sorry, they did not have a clear cut opportunity until the 85th minute, and they had two clear cut op opportunities in the entire game. They both came after the 85th minute, uh, and you know. At the end of the day, Cincinnati won from a good, well-placed uh, header from Jibby. Absolutely true. And shameless plug time, if you check my recap up at Socktakes.com, um, I basically said what Napoon um, kind of just stated, that, for example, in the first half, I, the shots were 11-3 to in favor of Columbus. So they also saw like 55-56% of the ball. So on paper, it looked like Columbus had, the, you know, was controlling things. But I also wrote that since he actually created, even in their measly three shots, they all were better opportunities than Columbus had. And the second half was pretty much the same story. Just it was clear that Columbus was the better team, but since he just played a great style. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, we tried to do a podcast episode on the drive home from that trip, but it started pouring rain. The audio quality was super poor on our phones, and unfortunately, the storm. But we all had really it. good lanyards that day. Yeah, the lanyards were amazing, though. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. the podcast was not. So, um, anyway, uh, we touched on our, our thoughts quite a bit in that one. So, unfortunately, we we don't have that to publish. But to reiterate some of the stuff we talked about, that's exactly right. Um, since he was, they listed it as a three-five-two, but it essentially was. Um, a 5-3-2 or a 5-4-1. They really were playing five flat across in the back, and they played it very effectively. Um, Columbus, most of their opportunities were just flubbed shots from outside of the box, or uh, they just played very sloppy in the final third, and much of that was due to Cincy's defense. So I thought Cincy came in with a great game plan and executed it uh, perfectly. Aaron, what did you think about the game? Actually, before we go to Aaron, can we? <laughs> I'll let it play. Just continue being a dick, watching your stupid ass game. Glad your team lost. You're not a you're not a kind person. 
<laughs> it's karma, by the way. I know. You're not so, mad at me anyway. You're mad at the Indian national cricket team. So, by the so, way. So anyway. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that came out in 1991. Mm-hmm. There's a line... In that movie, Raphael like, says to Casey Jones... Oh, yeah, that's Jones, the one that has, go ninja, go ninja, go, go. No, that was that was Secret of the Ooze. Oh, fuck, dude. That was the one with Vanilla Ice. I'm thinking of the first one, the movie. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. Anyway, Raphael says to Casey Jones, Cricket, you gotta know what a crumpet is to understand cricket. Mm. It's really well, funny. I remember being 10 years old and thinking that was hilarious. Yeah, well, those times have passed. Well, I don't, I don't think that holds up because I don't know what a crumpet is, but I understand cricket. So I think this theorem needs to be researched. How do you mute a person in another state? <laughs> it, it only works if that person isn't in Texas. We have a law here that says you can't mute us. <laughs> John, you're Listen, well the, the point is I live my life based on a movie a with Jim Henson Muppets in it. So... I just I want you guys to know that. What should we talk about? Let's continue. Wrap up. I'm kind of burned out on the Cincinnati game because they've already played another game since then. But the atmosphere was tremendous. It was electric. Thirty or yeah, thirty thousand people. Good fans support from from both clubs. It was a good sign for I think American soccer and the U.S. Open Cup in general. And it was a big game for the club, Cincinnati. The the GM, Jeff Birding, was emotional after the game. He wasn't necessarily in tears, but he was he was choking up a little bit, and he was treating the game as if it were a championship victory, even though it's just round four of U.S. Open Cup. He even bought beers for 200 people at a bar after the game. They were pumped. That's That's my takeaway from the game. Okay, well, let's move right along and transition into the Indy 11 match this Saturday at Carroll Stadium. Of course, Indy came out victorious with their first win of the year, 2-0 over North Carolina FC. And even though it was their first win, it actually shot Indy 11 up the table from 8th to 6th. So no longer in the absolute cellar and kind of up toward the middle bottom of the table, a little more respectable, but still five points clear of North Carolina FC in fifth place. Uh, Napoon, what were your takeaways from the match? You know, I mean, we joke around on the podcast a lot, but at the end of the day, we're very close to Miami FC now for the top spot. And I can definitely see us winning the whole thing. You know, at the end of the day, <laughs> if Miami FC were to come up against us right now, I think we'd probably win 3 nothing. Look, they beat Jacksonville Armada, but who the hell is Jacksonville Armada? They don't even have an owner, right? If we were to <laughs> play them tomorrow, I guarantee... Can't confirm. You could conf- yeah, exactly. This is now this is a double-sourced opinion. Vukovic would probably have a hat trick. That, those are my thoughts. Otaki. Yeah, I mean, this is not. A, this is just a fact. Like, you guys dismiss things as Hotakis. This is just a fact. And I, <laughs> I challenge anyone to show me otherwise. How, how we? You know, there's no way we would lose to Miami FC. We're we're in fifth place now, you guys. Fifth, actually, sorry, sixth place now, you guys, or whatever, fifth place. We're almost there. We're right by Miami, in my opinion, and talent wise, ability wise, tactics wise. Miami ain't shit. Interesting. I think a sixth place finish finish gets you Europa League, doesn't it? <laughs> Indy, you literally Liverpool eleven. Well, actually, Man United. We're, we were Liverpool actually finished top four. Man United finished out of top four. So yeah. Top four is overrated, I guess. How dare you? Ask ask uh, ask, ask Arsene Wenger if that's true. All I want is in the NASL this year is for the Cosmos to not make the championship. If the Cosmos finish fifth and the Armada without an owner has better ownership than the Cosmos, (laughs) I will be incredibly satisfied. (laughs) Like, I, I see Cosmos gear all over Dallas. I've seen Cosmos jerseys in the wild here, and I don't even see hardly any FCD gear outside of, like, hipster areas and college campuses. Is that and, true? That, that's a really interesting. That's yeah. a story in its own right. That's Dallas yeah. is Dallas is definitely an enigma. They are one of. They're kind of like the the San Antonio Spurs, or 
the like the St. Louis Cardinals. They're they're always good, no matter what, no matter what turnover they have with players. Um, they're just so but well. But they have the worst Oscar attendance Perea. in the league. Yeah, and no yeah. matter what, no matter how much they win, they cannot put butts in the seats. It's 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 quite shocking and kind of disappointing. But yeah, we've got. Well, is it because uh, the stadium is outside of town by thirty miles or something? Everything's outside of Dallas. Like if you live here, you own a car and you measure things in half hour drives. So it's a half hour drive to the airport. It's a half hour drive to downtown. It's a half hour drive to FC Dallas. And it's a half hour drive to the train station. It's well, if everything's typical. a half hour away, why don't you just say it's a drive? <laughs> because we this like to use. I don't know. It's historical <laughs> or something. Yeah, but, we have to drive there. It will be a half why, hour. The usual why, thirty why minutes. Is, uh, why is Cosmos? Uh, so, would you say Cosmos is more are more popular than FC Dallas? No, it's just unusual that it's a lot of like. When they first announced, there was actually Cosmos gear in, like, regular sporting goods stores. I picked up a Cosmos t-shirt for, like, 15 bucks at a store that had two FC Dallas jerseys and had as much Cosmos as they had at U.S. national team at the time. Fascinating. It's, it's one of those weird brand things, and I don't know. I think the fans deserve finishing outside of the playoffs. <laughs> oh, that's probably true. Uh, hey, KJ, we should pick your brain about the game. I mean, I kind of just brought up the obvious that we're better than Miami, but why don't you give us a little more nuanced uh, thoughts based on your write-up in the Indy Star? Sure. So, Coach Hankinson, he's used a little bit of gamesmanship regarding the announcing of the starting 11s, which, of course, that's not the, that's very common. You know, oftentimes you'll even see like an official uh, club Twitter account will tweet out a certain starting 11 and then you could click the game center on the league's website and it'll show like a different lineup. So of course it's not an exact science and guys are going to go wherever they want to, you know, but anyway, um, Hank has used some, some deliberate gamesmanship with his starting 11s. It was announced as a uh, formation. Indy plays often uh four, four, two with the diamond midfield with Sinisha Ubi Perpovich as the CAM and Brad ring as the CDM behind him. But coach confirmed after the game the intention and the way they played. It was a four-two-three-one, and he wanted uh, Ubi Perapovic to play more defensively than he normally does. So he dropped back and played deeper. And well, likewise for Justin Braun, who normally is a forward, he kind of is, is an underneath second forward that does the dirty work underneath Eamon's eye. But coach wanted him to drop back a little bit farther too. So he was playing more as a number 10 or a false number 10 and kind of giving a little bit of help to the midfield. So we had two guys asked to play in different roles than they, they normally do. I didn't think Indy uh, played incredibly well. Um, they didn't blow me away, and I can't say that you know they were uh, far and away the better side or anything like that. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, um, in soccer, sometimes you play well, you lose, and they had been on on the wrong end of variance quite a bit this season. So eventually they were going to have a mediocre performance and get a win or whatever, and that's kind of what happened. Um, but there were several positives. Don Smart, of course, continues to give this team a huge wait, boost. Wait, wait, who? Bay, sorry, not Don Smart, Bay. Bay continues to give this Indy 11 team a huge boost. Um, he switched and he, he went over and drifted to the left flank a little bit just to give the defense a different look, but did most of his damage on the right side as he normally does. And it's just a joy to watch Bay play, to be honest. I love how he just kind of, he tiptoe creeps uh, up the line, just like waiting. You know, the ball won't necessarily be like ready to come to him, but he'll kind of see the ball could be on the left side. He'll see the switch coming through the middle or like the long switch. And he'll just start tiptoeing up the line. And next thing you know, bam, someone plays him in and he's just burning up the wing. So, so good to have Don Smart back in this lineup. And while I wasn't blown away with Indy's performance, they got the win. You know, they were desperate for three points and they got the three points. Aaron, what did you think? I agree with a lot of your assessment. I think it's spot on. The team played the game they needed to win. It It wasn't necessarily one for the ages they didn't need one for the ages for morale of the team just to keep everything together they needed a win of any kind and they would have taken any they would have taken it dirtier than what they got you know what i'm saying the players after the game were elated and similar to the the game of 
of little consequence in Cincinnati, you know, this win doesn't on paper change Indy 11's season. The three points gained, as you said, propelled them to a, a massive sixth place on the table of eight teams. Rest what they needed, team. yeah, what they needed was something to start taking steps forward with a little bit of positive momentum. That should be the storyline out of it. Thankfully, now we can take another positive step if if they get to it. I mean, the the team has been so hard on themselves, and those players have been hanging their heads, walking the walk of shame to go give high fives to the fans. They hate doing that when they lose. They hate looking people in the eye and apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, we didn't get it done. For many of those players, they really do truly care about giving the fans a show and giving the fans victories. They really do mean it. And and Colin Falvey, the captain of Indy 11, has been very hard on the team, not necessarily calling players out, but saying, you know what, we didn't get it done. We are supposed to get it done. We're professionals and we need to do better. And I'm not going to make excuses. And he's been saying that now for 11 games. After the game last night, I mean... He's grinning ear to ear. He's practically jumping up and down. He's giving everybody massive bro hugs and high fives. <laughs> I mean, it was it was really fun to see from a perspective of look at how much energy and joy he got. And again, it's not that they think they're going to the playoffs automatically. It's not that they think, oh man, now we're going to make it to the Champions League next year. This win meant nothing other than the fact that finally they have some weight off their back and they can get to the business of fine-tuning and tweaking and maybe taking another step forward. It, it was an emotional lift that this team was desperate for. And again, that final was 2-0 in favor of Indy 11 over North Carolina FC. For a full-game recap, you can check out my story for the Indianapolis Star at IndyStar.com forward slash sports. And, of course, these two teams will rematch next weekend in North Carolina, in Cary, North Carolina, at Wake Med Soccer Park. So be on the lookout for how both coaches respond and try to make some subtle tactical adjustments, and it should be um, an interesting rematch next week. Moving this, on. Oh, can I uh, add one thing? No, 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 no. Aaron, no. <laughs> Dang. Add, All right, I add away. Ball. So... It's not going to be that great for Indy 11 to rematch right away when a team gets to see areas to exploit of Indy 11. They're not without weakness. They they do have a weak link. Right now, as we've talked about before, it's the speed in the midfield. And truthfully, North Carolina has a much faster midfield with Lance Lang and Al-Badawi. I can't remember his first name. Nice. Nazmi. Yeah, Nazmi Al-Badawi, uh, they, will, they will slice through the middle next week, so that's my hot take. True that. I think besides Miami FC, uh, North Carolina FC has the second-best midfield in the NASL. Uh, their problem is, you know, the back line isn't super strong, and no offense to Matt Fondy, I don't consider him an elite striker. He's had a good season. I think a lot of that's due to the good midfield behind him, so I'm not trying to hate on the guy, but... Um, I'm very impressed by what I see every time I see that North Carolina FC midfield. So moving right along, John, you had not a gripe about the way the San Francisco Deltas play, but if I'm understanding this correctly, a gripe about the very existence of the Deltas. Could you please elaborate on that for us? Gladly. So (laughs) I don't understand why the Deltas are like... (laughs) This is not something that makes sense to me. And the way that they run themselves and have played and everything, nothing about this makes any sense at all. They are a team in a big city that act like a small city team, and their branding would be better on a tech consulting firm, which is where I think their administration belongs, mainly because that's all of their day jobs. And... I don't understand how in San Francisco with a sports market that is basically able to watch anything, just look at how well the Quakes did when they were terrible in MLS. How do you draw 2,500 fans or 1,400 fans for their home game against Indy two weeks ago? How does that happen 
and a 10,000-seat brand-new stadium in one of the easiest cities in America to market. Like, there's not much going on there for summer sports, and the Giants are too expensive. So if you just make a cheap ticket, you should be able to sell that out easy. How is that possible? And then the team seems to not even care about their home games. They're uh, the epitome of mediocrity at home, two, two, and two. And yet they're undefeated on the road. So even the team themselves don't care about their home fans. I don't get it. I really just, like, a, a, a team with a plus three goal differential sitting in second doesn't make any sense. Their gradient jerseys don't make any sense. Their lack of a jersey sponsor annoys me. And then there's the whole San Francisco City FC thing where they announce, hey, we want an NASL team. Look, we've been around for 15 years. We'll be a great addition to the NASL for San Francisco. And the Deltas are like, what about if we showed up first? I don't like it. I don't like it. And I would rather they didn't exist. Well, there's some very interesting points. So, first of all, the reason they don't have uh, a lot of marketing uh, success, by the way, which is which is completely accurate, is because they didn't really start marketing the team until February. And the reason for that is they weren't sure if they were going to be in the NASL or USL at the start of uh, at the end of last year. Um, so much of their marketing plans were put on hiatus because they weren't even sure if they were playing uh, in 2017. You know, it's difficult to start selling season tickets, and, and they did a little bit of that, but it's difficult to attract people to a, to a team that might not exist. Um, there's that. Then the second thing is about the San Francisco SF City, which is also a good point. I think there were negotiations from everything I've read, and I, I don't know this for a fact, by the way, but everything I read, there were conversations with them, but Helmick and uh, um, what is his name? The uh, Stanford uh, Rommel, the Brazilian guy, uh, Fabio Egel, the main uh, owner and the whatever, whatever the identities of the 14 other owners are, um, they wanted to have something a little different, something that started from scratch, something they could have their own imprint on, which wasn't pre-designed. And that might have been a flaw in their design because they did have a group of supporters already there. But I don't think the negotiations with the people at SF City were as easy as we might have assumed. If, if you know a little bit about the SF City owners. Yeah. And it's exactly. It's kind of like Detroit City, and they've had a very similar issue with NASL. And I can totally understand those supporter-run teams being incredibly hesitant to sign over anything that they can help. But at all the same, it just feels like you're shooting yourself in the foot. And even when the energy were still barely coming together and really hadn't even joined the league officially... You can run soccer camps. You can send your players out to go meet kids and kiss babies and do that stuff. That's free. You don't need a league to go out and shake hands and kiss babies. That's easy marketing. You just need like a minivan and some banners and right. maybe some business cards. And that's that's not hard. And it just feels ugh. it's like every startup cliche but just applied to a soccer team, including the 17 owners. Right. It, it just feels like it's so, they would be so much more successful if they just did a few things differently. And well, it's I really disappointing. I think you're right. But at the end of the day, that's sort of, that is what you describe as a microcosm of the NASL, right? Multiple owners need to do things differently. And I've made mistakes, including marketing, along the way. You're basically describing the NASL thing. Uh, what comes with independence, which is what we love, right? Well, a lot of people love about the NASL, is the is the independence is, has two sides. One, you have the ability to do whatever the fuck you want. And on the other side, you also have the ability to do whatever the fuck you want. So the good and the bad come from that independence. And unfortunately, uh, NASL has suffered from that. And I think you're right. I think Delta's... Uh, poor planning, along with the the shitty hand they were dealt with uh, at the end of last year, 
has resulted in them having low attendance. Uh, I'm not as worried as you are about the the home uh, uh, form thing, but I think the low attendance issues with marketing, etc., are absolutely valid. I just don't want to see any more teams fold. I hate seeing teams fold, and if if I, I almost wonder if you know they they could announce a partnership with San Francisco City just as like a, some sort of loose affiliation thing. Go have a little booth for the PDL guys at their home games. Maybe get some academy kids in the door. Sell season tickets to families. It's it's just it feels like it's so close to working, and it's just ugh. It's like the Scorpions last season all over again. Yeah, and you don't mean the band. You mean the no, yeah. <laughs> no. That's the thing. It's like I, I watched the San Antonio Scorpions rise, fall, rise again, and then fall really hard. And ugh, I'm sick of the NASL losing teams. I hate teams folding. And watching an owner making mistakes is aggravating. Well, given the importance the San Francisco franchise has within the NASL, for example, you know they they are a crucial part of the expansions that are happening in San Diego. Oh, yeah. That are happening in... Uh, Orange County. So there's that. The uh, as uh, Brian Helmick told us when we interviewed him, he is a uh, part of the expansion committee. So, and and by the way, if you've been paying attention to NASL, you'll notice that people within the NASL are now echoing the things Brian Helmick is saying, like literally verbatim. Oh uh, yeah. So the 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 influence that he has is substantial. So if if Deltas do fail at the end of this year, I would say that's the end of the NASL. So I think you're right. I, I, all of this should be looked at with skepticism. And well again, played. the Deltas were under 2,000 fans on their Saturday one to nothing win over FC Edmonton at home. They only had an attendance of about 1,900. So it's definitely concerning. I'm a little bit worried too um, when you're an expansion team and your attendance is this low. It's hard to predict a huge boost, you know? I mean, the trend is you go down after that inaugural year. So something's going to have to be done for this team to get some some butts in the seats. And it's definitely very disappointing. Moving on, um, I'll let you guys pick. Uh, we got a little bit to talk about, about Puerto Rico FC and also Miami FC, everyone's everyone's uh, wonder child of the NASL. So what do you guys want to touch on? Dude. Not anymore. India will be them uh, Miami easy. <laughs> I don't sense any snark there at all. Not at all. Okay. Super well, stable. let's talk. Since Indy's better, let's talk about this number two team, Miami FC. Well, um, not even that good. And I'm convinced that this team could compete in MLS. I, I really do. If they were in MLS, I'll, they would not finish at the bottom of the table with this current roster as it is, with no changes. And I really believe that. Um, First thing I want to talk about, I think Vincenzo Ranella could possibly be positioning himself as the front runner for the NASL Player of the Year. Do you guys agree with that statement? No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. In general, that's Miami is definitely doing a lot of things correctly, and he is doing a lot of them himself. It's it's a pretty hard argument to to de, to debate. That's that's reasonably solid there. Not for me. Who's okay, it for then you? What? I mean, I, I would I would say Ranella is a an outcome of that system. I think Ranella relies heavily on the play of Richie Ryan's distribution from midfield, connecting to the likes of Dylan Mares and um, and uh, Michael Lahoud. He also relies on the service, uh, uh, the dropping deep of Poku. Also relies heavily on the work of Pino. So, I mean, Ranella is like, uh, I think a good, good uh, comparison would be Chicharito. So Chicharito relies on the brilliance of other players around him. You stick Chicharito into a system where he's not being fed chances, I don't think he's as successful. So for me, Ranella is, don't get me wrong, he's fantastic, but he's not the best player on the team. And for me, he's not a uh, player of the year, even close to. I, I would put two or maybe three players of Miami FC ahead of him. 
So would you then say maybe Golden Boot to Ranella and Poku for Player of the Year or Richie Ryan for Player of the Year? Personally, I would say it would be me. If it was up to me, I would say Richie Ryan. But then I have a ridiculous bias for uh, holding midfielders. So I think Poku is a more uh, meeting you guys in the middle kind of Player of the Year. Poku is just genuinely. Good. He is clearly, you watch him play for any team he's on, and you can tell he is good. And it's it's clear that and Miami FC is kind of overpowered this year, especially. I, I agree. In MLS, they'd be, they'd be smacking around the Dynamo easy. And Napoon brought up a couple good points, um, kind of similar to the points I made about Matt Fondi having that good midfield behind him. No doubt Ranella's a huge benefactor of that elite midfield he's got behind him. Um, however, as you know, most awards are voted on, you know, not necessarily by people who watch and appreciate like CDMs and stuff like that. So, and you know, there's nothing more important to winning awards than getting on the score sheet. And Ranella... I think he finished number two in the player of the month voting. I'm not certain. I don't think they announced that, but that would probably be my guess. Um, he probably was number two behind Zach Steinberger last month. And so he doesn't quite have a, he doesn't have a player of the month award yet, but he's right there um, in the conversation. And he just keeps adding to his impressive numbers in the Saturday 4-0 win over Jacksonville Armada FC. He tacked on a brace and another assist. So he already had some gaudy numbers. He keeps tacking on to them. And for a lot of voters for this award, um, you know, they kind of look at that surface level stuff. So that's kind of why I think he's the front runner. But Napoon brings up very valid points that he's not necessarily even the MVP on his team, but could be the MVP of the league. So sweet baby, what are your thoughts on Miami FC? I don't have any thoughts on the second best team hey, in the league. Hey, no reason. Before, before you go to Aaron, let's talk about something else. <laughs> I'm done with this podcast. All of you. In it's been a good run. Of the <laughs> run away. That's your exit music, Aaron. You're not even a real doctor. <laughs> So tell us, Aaron, what are your thoughts on Miami? What are my thoughts on Miami FC? They've bought their roster, and they're reaping the rewards. It's it's something that Coach Hankinson says to me almost every time I talk to him. They, They spent. They got it. They've done it now. Here's the thing to be concerned with. We talk about the health of the NASL. Do other teams try and keep up? Does this turn into an arms race that's unsustainable? This is something that we should keep an eye on. It's not something you can know today or tomorrow how it's actually but, turning out. But by the way, can I that, can I add something to to what you're saying, Aaron? Because I think it's a it's a good point to make about how much Miami is spent. But I think in that spending, we don't recognize how Miami were coming along at the end of last year. So in November, I tweeted that I think based on what uh, on in October, I tweeted based on what I'm seeing from what. Nesta is doing, Miami FC are going to be the winners of the spring next year. That was before they made any signings. And the reason I'm saying that is because Miami FC tactically are way, way ahead of any team in the league. And that comes down to Nesta. Their their playing style is unique. Their tactical formation is unique. The way they use their wingbacks is unique. So there's a lot more going on than just the brilliant players. But, But your point is valid. Like Without the names that we just dropped, Maybe they're not running away with this league, but I think that there was the 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 framework and and the saplings had been placed at the end of last year for what became this amazing amazing journey. Well, they they started mind. doing that at the at the halfway point of last year anyway. Right. I mean, they took mm-hmm. Richie Ryan and paid an extraordinary amount of money for him. Yeah. They, are definitely the best player that Jacksonville had. And then you take uh, Dylan Mayers by offering him more money than than anybody else can. He yep. was arguably one of Indy 11's best, definitely up-and-coming players. They're not fucking around. And yep. I agree, Nesta is probably head and shoulders above the other coaches in the league, although Gio should get a lot of credit. I think Dos Santos has proven in the league, clearly starting with a... A team out in San Francisco, you know, expansion sides are 
are tough to run and difficult to get results, I mean, he's gotten look results. Look at what Lowry's done with Jacksonville with a, basically a shoestring budget. So, yeah, there's some good coaches in this league. For sure. Is Nesta better than all of them? Quite possibly. I, yeah. But he's. it's hard to judge. I mean, you don't have a good... You don't have a good test. What's the scientific word? I don't have a good. No, I'm going to let whatever. you. Whatever. I'm not a scientist. Anybody who's a scientist, speak up. <laughs> I want you to prove it. I want you to prove that you're not a scientist. I guess I can't prove that I'm not a scientist. There you go. Good you're point. A scientist. Very, Ooh. very good point. That's Ooh. excellent work there. Nesta has a good team science. right now. So what we need to do to <laughs> prove that Nesta is the real deal is drop him in Puerto Rico. That that would be interesting. Because truthfully, Puerto Rico, and if I'm going to call anybody out, it's going to be Napoon for sing, yeah. singing songs about Puerto Rico for the last six months, telling everybody how fucking great they were going to be. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> They're you not good at all. Right. I got. That. They're not good at all. They fired their coach. They're not getting results anywhere. They're actually worse. Listen to this. They are worse than the Indy 11. Wait a minute. No way. Yeah. So I think Puerto Rico FC's uh, talent roster is better than Indy 11's. I think you're starting to see an improvement in Puerto Rico FC. You don't think so? Puerto Rico's roster is better from central mid forward indy's yep. roster is moderately yep. better in the back line and both of them their goalkeepers are probably going to be in rehab by the end of the year <laughs> but my point my point i'm taking over at this point my point is Wait, you want to know if nesta's the real deal <laughs> drop him in puerto rico obviously this is all hypothetical but drop him in puerto rico yeah. and see if he can turn things around and bring that team forward i believe that he probably is an excellent coach but it's hard to know when he already has all the chips in front of him. Yep, I think that's a good point. I, I think some of it can be looked at towards the end of last season. I think he changed that team around a little bit. But your point is valid. I, I think if he were to take away Puerto Rico, I see he would see a totally different team with a totally different system. So, yeah, I think he's a very good coach. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Miami don't make a bid for MLS in the next couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him move to an MLS team. And that is a great yeah. segue to talk about Puerto Rico FC, which is our next topic. But really quick, we, we forgot to mention Miami FC also came through with a very impressive midweek U.S. Open Cup victory over MLS side Orlando City SC 3-1 to one at Orlando. Um, to be fair, uh, Orlando was not playing their A-plus squad, but they did have several starters in the lineup. Spectre was in there. Um, Nasserino was in there. A couple others. So it wasn't Orlando's A-plus squad, but they beat a very uh, very solid team on the road in a higher division. So that's why my, my super hotaki about Miami FC could compete in MLS I really hold to that, and it, it's not just reactionary from that one performance. You know, I acknowledge, you know, it wasn't Orlando's A-plus squad, but I think Miami could absolutely hold their own in MLS. So you heard it here first, Hotaki of the day, Miami FC, good enough for MLS. Um, and also, one last quick point before we move on. How about Blake Smith? I don't know if you guys have noticed, but former Indy 11 player, so you guys might be familiar with it. A lot of our listeners might be familiar with him as well. He's, us- he's usually a left winger. Um, he can even play as a left forward as an attacker. But recently, Miami is experimenting with him as a left wing back. So I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but if you have, uh, Aaron or Napoon, what are your thoughts? I mean, I didn't, ex- I didn't. That wasn't a system that I thought he. That wasn't a player that I thought he would take up as a left back. Uh, but he's doing pretty well. I agree with you. He stretches the play well, and we know we've always known he's really, really fast. I haven't had a chance to look at his. Uh, his numbers very closely uh but i know at least in the last game his link up with lahoud was pretty good i mean they they seem to have an understanding but it's still early days i I wouldn't i wouldn't get at least i'm not super excited about that they have other options you know kasira has been very good for them this season so i'm not sure how whether that's a long-term option they also have a rio kc uh ex spanish player mikel on the bench uh they have another couple of defenders who i forget so I'm not sure if this is a long-term thing, KJ, but the few he's, a few games he's played, he's been very good. Michel is kind of an interesting player there in that 
He's not a good defender. He played for FC Dallas, and he is a liability in defense. You're describing all the defenders in the league. I'm not just saying a liability. I'm saying he got nutmegged three times in a two-minute span. (laughs) Like, the dude cannot defend. He is maybe a left winger, but he's not fast enough to be a left winger. So you put him back in defense because his free-kicking ability gets him everywhere. You watch him take a corner kick, and it is a thing of beauty. But basically anything else he does, it's a liability. And Blake Smith, if you look at his chalkboard against Jacksonville, he basically set up shop on the entire left side of the field and was responsible for at least seven good passes into the box. They didn't all connect, but the thing is, is, He's basically become a box-to-box left back, whatever that might be. And clearly it was effective. Very interesting point. I'm glad you looked that up. And it'll be interesting to see how Blake Smith holds up in this left-back experiment. Um, Part of it could be, you know, if he was in a different system, maybe it wouldn't work out. But, of course... um, when you've got great players all around you, you're going to look good and possibly be able to do some things that you didn't even think you could do yourself. So Actually, that's a great point, KJ. Perhaps the reason he's successful is because, honestly, Miami are so dominant that they don't really have to defend that much. So if you have a really attacking player, he can almost play as a winger and not even have to worry that much about defensive duty. So that's a very, very good point. Trafford and Bernstein lock it down back there. You look at their defensive numbers, and those two, and then Hunter Freeman, that just the three of them on defense, is pretty much enough to cover all of their tackles, intercepts, and clearances. And Blake Smith had maybe one tackle and one block all game, whereas almost all of it is just... Bernstein and Trafford and uh, Freeman occasionally helping out, but mm-hmm. the it's almost as if they're playing two at the back sometimes with the amount of freedom their wing backs have to move forward. Right. And they don't actually seem to need three defenders back there. So let's talk now about PRFC. I know we talked on Twitter, Napoon and Aaron, a little bit about this. And I think we're in agreement on this one, Napoon. We both kind of, John made a couple good points about their defense in midfield isn't necessarily elite or even above average in ASL level for that matter. But they do have quite a few attacking options. And I'm impressed when I see their attack, when I watch it. I was able to watch this recent game and... I do think that at this point, their problems are a little bit more mental than they are physical. Um, If you didn't see what happened in the game, they jumped out to a lead against the New York Cosmos on the road in New York. And what I saw was a team that was a deer in the headlights. They got the lead and they didn't feel like they belonged. You know, it was definitely a sense of, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do we do now? We're beating a good team on the road. We've never been here. And they just totally looked uncomfortable in that uncharted territory. Second half, they came out flat, got ran off the pitch for a four to two final with the Cosmos coming away with the home win. Napoon, is that kind of what you saw, too? Well, before, so I feel like I've taken a lot of time. Aaron, do you want to jump in before I give my random thoughts on this game? This is all you, baby. Okay. So here's the thing, KJ. This is history repeating itself. On Mother's Day, Puerto Rico FC goes 2-0 up, loses. I don't remember the final score. It might have been 3-2 or 4-2. Um, basically, uh, it, it was, by the way, catalyzed by a couple of refereeing errors. One was a disallowed goal. One was a, a red card uh, that was awarded to Yuma for what, in my opinion, was the worst play acting by Juan Guerra, who coincidentally was suspended for this game. So there was some divine justice there. Um, in this game, another poor, uh, another poor red card resulted in Rudy Dawson getting a straight red, which, in my opinion, wasn't a red. So Puerto Rico are down to 10 men. But the damage had been done. As you said, they go into the... the, the uh, the locker room. Uh, the locker room. Uh, they've created a bunch of chances. They arguably should have been up 
three, four goals. They were dominant in the first half, absolutely dominant, and come back out and they look like a totally different team. And one of the reasons for that, interestingly, is something Velez, uh, Coach Velez, who is the uh, caretaker coach now that Whitbread, Whitbread has been fired, he is playing around with his... Uh, so he's still playing them in a 4-2-3-1, which is what Whitbread did. But what he's doing is, instead of having two holding midfielders, in, in the Whitbread era, it was Kafari and Yuma as two holding midfielders. What, what uh, Velez is doing, he's playing... Yuma next to a more attacking player. Last week it was uh, Jordi Quintilla playing there. This week it was Connor Doyle actually playing next to uh, Yuma as a holding midfielder, which was insane. Uh, no one saw that coming, and it worked well in the well, somewhat well in the first half. Doyle had a late run that went unmarked. He scored the goal, but then the defensive lapses of Doyle and his inability to produce. And by the way, KJ, I know his last name last name is Doyle, so don't freak out. It's nothing to do with Matt Doyle. Uh, so you're getting worried about offending the wrong person. I know his dad. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. So uh, I felt like Connor struggled in the in this in the latter half or the first half and the early parts of the second half with his distribution, even though he had a very well taken goal. Kentia, on the other hand, was very good in the uh, in the role behind the striker, Welshman. But honestly, it was a capitulation that that will. That really summarizes Puerto Rico's team, uh, Puerto Rico's season. They are a good team. I don't care what anyone says. They're a talented bunch of players, but they keep on giving up silly goals. And as you pointed out, KJ, there are serious, there's serious issues of mental uh, lack of fortitude, mental lack of fortitude there. And it's something that the next head coach, or if Velas is given a, a, another contract, or whatever, has to take into account. They need a coach who is able to instill confidence into these players because they look completely devoid of, 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 uh, of, uh, of confidence. John, what do you see from this Puerto Rico FC side? I see defenders who get drawn way out of position. If you look at Ramon Soria, you can see him drifting all the way up into midfield and absolutely hanging out Cavita to dry. Then you've got Walter Ramirez, who can't really mark anyone on left back to save his life. And Rudy Dawson, who actually plays further forward than Yuma. Which, when you're a fullback, and you're playing higher than an attacking mid up the field, it's not a wonder that you're giving up silly goals. These are defenders who aren't defending plain and simple. Their offense is the second best in the entire league. 17 goals is no joke. They're up there with the Cosmos and Miami. And I think if things have gone the other way, if if you just look at their average, the average defense in NASL has allowed roughly 15.3 goals if we exclude Miami and Puerto Rico, which makes Puerto Rico's defense 50% worse than the league average. And a good offense can't carry a terrible defense for a whole season. We're seeing it like this. We saw this under Whitbread. It's a thing that his teams have struggled with for years. He knows how to get players to score goals, but it's just, it's defenders absolutely forgetting what it means to mark a player or to stay near your goal or your keeper and wandering about the field for 45 minutes while the cosmos come charging in. And that's how you allow three goals in 20 minutes to lose. Great points there, John. Uh, Sweet baby. What are your thoughts on Puerto Rico FC? What's it going to take for them to get it done? Well, I think you guys are on the right track if you're talking about defense. It is important, but it's not everything. Indy 11 has struggled. They have given up quite a few goals as well. Indy 11 Hankinson, head coach, he said the reason they were at the bottom of the table was because they've allowed so many goals. So once Puerto Rico gets something squared away in the back, maybe they can turn it around. I do agree. I'm just glancing at goals for and goals allowed right now. It's pretty telling. Clearly, you look at the top two, Miami and San Francisco, they've allowed eight and ten, respectively. And then everybody else, 
is you know 16, 17, and the 11 with 19. Puerto Rico has allowed 23 goals on the season. That's that's not going to get you anywhere, and uh, they keep shooting themselves in the foot as a lot of teams do. But I think it's difficult to find defenders that don't lapse occasionally in Division Two of American soccer. This is this is something that's going to happen. I think Napoon is on something there as well. When you have a potent enough offense that takes pressure away from your defense, they won't be exposed. When Indy played Miami in Miami, their defense was actually exposed. The game was 3-2 to two at the end, but an own goal and then a sloppy communication allowed Indy, sloppy miscommunication allowed Indy to get back and steal another one. That was all... Miami's defense just being shitty. And if their defense was any any better, you know, they, they would have had that 3-0 shutout because Indy didn't deserve those two goals. Before we wrap still, up... Oh, go ahead, John. I still think even, even Indy's defense, you've got uh, Colin Falvey as a center back and Daniel Keller for Indy. When they pay attention... Things go generally okay. There is a core bit of defense, like Nemanja Vukovic, Marco Franco. Indy has solid defenders who are capable of keeping their wits about them. And even in the loss to Jacksonville, Indy's defense was better than Puerto Rico's loss to the Cosmos. That's a good point, and I would agree with that assessment as well. Um, By the way, Kay, we should mention that you know, we, we're talking about Puerto Rico FC, but big credit to New York Cosmos, right? They they came back from 2-1 to win this 4-2. Um, they scored a fantastic goal, by the way. If you haven't had a chance to see Emmanuel Ledesma's goal, you should. It'll give you an idea of how much of a threat Cosmos are with Ledesma on the pitch. He's coming back from an injury. Fantastic left foot strike, and I think it's probably going to be up there in, in the in the bidding for goal of the season. Um as well as a goal for uh, Pablo Vranjikan, uh, the player that we, uh, Sock takes broke the news that he was heading to uh, New York Cosmos. His debut, he comes on, I think it was the 85th or 80, he came on late, whatever it was, scored a goal within a few minutes, um, and he's on his way. So, you know, Cosmos may have a lot more life in them than a lot of us believed. I mean, we're all focusing on, uh, sorry, on Miami FC, but. Uh, at the end of the day, Cosmos are Cosmos, and they are going to make things difficult. Really quickly, I also we never talked about this game, but this was several weeks ago. I was very impressed, possibly the most impressed I've been by team all season with the Cosmos and their performance at North Carolina FC. Um, it kind of went under the radar because they had a very quick and kind of an unfair turnaround. They only had two days of rest after, and then they played. FC Edmonton at home, who I think Edmonton was only on three days rest themselves. But when you're talking about two to three days, that is a big difference. Um, you could ask NBA players to confirm that. But just that one extra day makes a lot of – so they got beat um, by Edmonton the next game. So it kind of, um, kind of clouded their previous performance. But back to the game. In North Carolina, they went in and absolutely befuddled North Carolina FC – um, I thought Jesse Marsh was coaching this team uh, because they were high pressing mm-hmm. and North Carolina FC was so frustrated. Like guys were like putting their hands on their hips and, you know, shrugging their shoulders. They could not get the ball across midfield. Like there was a chunk of 10, 12 yeah. minutes where they could not get the ball. across. And it w- that I was so impressed by the Cosmos that day. That's why they had that home loss on two days rest after. And that was kind of unfair scheduling to them. But, you know, had they had some had they not had the short rest, that could have even been another win, which would move them farther up the table. So I am starting to buy into the Cosmos as the second best team behind Miami FC. Anyway, if you look at that heat map for that game, you just talked about this game. Restrepo and Herrera were further into the box and spent more time in North Carolina's box than their defenders. That isn't just high pressing. That is basically... Uh, it looks like a failed offside trap on the heat map. It is absurd. 
I'm glad you got to watch that game because I was so fucking impressed by the Cosmos that game. Um, North Carolina, it looked like they seriously wanted to quit and walk off the field. That's how dominant um, they got destroyed in their in their own park. So Connor Tobin was just gone. Connor Tobin basically did not exist in that game. <laughs> true, true, true. So before we let you guys go, we got one last thing we want to touch on, which is a uh, funny point that John wanted to talk about, kind of a um, a sarcastic point about Peter Wilt and the many hats he wears. Um, I believe that when John mentioned this to me that he wanted to talk about it, um, he presented it uh, very meta. Um, he Something along the lines of, what is Peter Wilt? And before I kick it over to you, John, um, I will say that to answer your question, um, kind of literally and not sarcastically, he is absolutely... Uh, we talked a little bit about kind of the culture out in San Francisco and Silicon Valley area. He is absolutely a startup junkie, a soccer startup junkie. And to make a, um, a non-sports comparison, he's sort of like a commitment phobe. You know, these people are always dating and they love that passion early on. They love that fire, but they can't keep a relationship for more than six months or a year, you know, and it's on to the next one. And I think Peter Will, he's just, you know, his mind is just always go, 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 go. And he is absolutely just the American soccer startup junkie. And not only does he do it with teams, now he's branching out and trying to start leagues. So, John, I would love to hear your thoughts on on Peter Wilt. Okay, I have a few corrections to make. You described this as sarcasm and meta, (laughs) not as uncovering the biggest conspiracy to face North American soccer in decades. Here, here. And you also assume that Peter Wilt is a person not some abstract concept portrayed by actors. So with those established, now we can actually begin. And I'm not entirely convinced that Peter Wilt exists. Mm-hmm. Alex Jones is our guest today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's crazy. I have proof. And it's not just the fact that he's got the number one in his Twitter handle, meaning he wasn't the first person to register Peter Wilt. So not even the brand of Peter Will. That's not an original thought. They had to stop it right there. That's perfect. It will not get any better than that. That's perfect. And even looking at this, the Chicago NASL thing that's been his big project. We know they keep spending money on something, but they haven't said anything in a year. And all of a sudden, he's got a new league out of nowhere. No, this is clearly another company buying the actor Peter Wilt's face, this Peter Wilt idea, hiring this actor, whoever he may be, and using that (laughs) to start a new league. Because this league has come out from literally nowhere with investors and prospective clubs already lined up, and now Peter Wilt's got his name attached to it? No, no, no. That's just something that they're buying to give it credibility. Because this is how Chicago Fire got started. They needed some concept to actually make it as the first expansion team in MLS. And if we look at the other team they came in with, that team doesn't exist anymore. The other Florida team got shut down. But the Fire win two trophies in their first two years? No, this is this is how you hire some crazy actor and get a bunch of consultants behind the scene to make it look like you've got a committed owner. But it's all just nerds and spreadsheets it's nerds and spreadsheets all the way down i i i'm definitely on board with this theory i've never met peter wilt i i, I don't think any of <laughs> no one has no everyone one has. says they've met him but they haven't there's no, no pictures of these people i bet well i've met somebody who claims to be peter wilt yeah i shook his hand See? he seemed it's like a nice character. enough gentleman but you're saying he's he's the puppet he's not the one pulling the strings exactly exactly and, and you can't prove it, prove us otherwise. I'm I'm on board with this theory, by the way. I'm not even I'm not even going to ask skeptical questions because sometimes as a scientist, you hear something and you realize that it's just a fact, and this is one of those moments. And here's <laughs> another bit of concrete proof. That sounds like good the science. NASL by the way. website is a skeptic. They are one of the few people who don't believe in Peter Wilt because mm. they have the California Orange County team on their homepage but not Chicago NASL on their homepage. Mm. See, if they believed in Peter Wilt, they would have had that on there, but clearly they can't. They dude. already know they can't believe in Peter Wilt. You're, dude, this is amazing stuff. I wish we'd had you on. Oh, this is the kind of 
hard journalism that Softex is known for that's uh, well corroborated and uh, well supported by everybody. And I have one last closing point. There was a whistleblower last year. Oh. It was the North Carolina Railhawks. And as part of blowing the whistle, there was a settlement. Peter Wilt covered it up, and that's why they changed their name to North Carolina FC. No owner would announce branding that generic without some ulterior motive. It's clearly Peter Wilt trying to diminish the value of other teams to make his investment more worthwhile. Holy shit. This is proof. This is like, this is clearing up so many things, Aaron, KJ, things that we've been worrying, were, uh, you know, considering for so long. <laughs> that is by far the hottest of hot takes, I think, in sock takes history. <laughs> that is the hotaki of all hotakis. That's, that's what we're about. And truthfully, I don't think this podcast can get any better. So I think we should maybe wrap it up. Let's do it. So, sweet baby, let's start with you. Where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on the interwebs at a gunyan, and you can find me being a thorn in the poon side at a local soccer park near you. And Mr. Chopra, where can our listeners find you? You can find me at Peter One on Twitter. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! <laughs> and John, we're so glad that you joined us today. We're so glad to have you aboard the Sock Takes family. Where can our listeners find you on Twitter and elsewhere? I have at JohnMLTX on Twitter and JohnMLeonard.com for anything that's too irrelevant to publish on Sock Takes or elsewhere. You'll find me tweeting about soccer lower division baseball, weird European stuff, uh, French politics, solar cells and photovoltaic technology, and occasionally computer parts. It's kind of a mixed bag. Standard and, stuff, really. Yeah, really. <laughs> Par for the course. <laughs> yeah. At KJ, John MLTX, about... at com. yes. KJ, what about you? Where can the fine people of uh, whatever that site is uh, find you you can find the lanyard king himself at <laughs> kj boxing and this has been episode 19 of the sock takes pod we will be back sometime later this week with another episode so stay tuned to socktakes.com and good night you have to be careful with those nicknames they have a way of sticking